Welcome to Triangle 411, the pulse that moves the Triangle world today. It's a vibrant collection of stories, medical breakthroughs, what's trending, social good, events, and boundless other adventures. A conversation pit of comedians, authors, chefs, sports figures, experts, the common and the uncommon. Here's the host of Triangle 411, Mary Innsbrucker. Hi, friends. She was 28 years old and a new mom with a 10-month-old when she was finally told what had been causing horrible symptoms and a full-body rash for over a year that no one could diagnose. It was lymphoma, cancer, cancer, that C word we also dread. She had her whole life ahead of her in one instant, and then in the next, well, it all just became about uncertainty. She had to stop working as a retail pharmacist and undergo six months of really difficult chemo treatment and what felt like endless, endless hospital stays. She was in remission for three years and lucky enough to have another baby. However, when the child was seven months old, she found another rash. The cancer was back, and this time, she needed a bone marrow transplant. Here to share her journey and the wonderful organization that resulted from it is Amy Steves. Welcome, Amy. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. And I guess we should begin at the beginning with what went through your mind when you learned this news about the cancer? Well, one of the craziest things about my story is that I actually don't remember them telling me that I had cancer. I have no memory at all of that. Um, I was in the ICU. I was really sick. And I think that it was just so traumatic that I've blocked it. Um, but as I kind of came as I remember kind of learning what was going on and getting my chemo and everything. I think I was just in shock and I was just taking it one day at a time. I couldn't look at the big picture because that was too overwhelming and too scary. So it was much more of like, okay, well, what are we doing today? What do we need to do tomorrow? That's a very positive attitude to have. Um, and that's interesting. That's interesting that you didn't even uh, realize what was being told to you. So now let's talk about, you know, that's a little bit about your mind. What was happening with your body? I, um, like you've said, I had a full body rash when I was pregnant. Um, and after I delivered, it just kept getting worse and I was having fevers. Um, I was short of breath all the time. Uh, we went on to away to the mountains to try to get away from everything. I'd already had to stop working. Um, and we got out of the car and I just couldn't catch my breath. So we walked, went to the ER. Um, and from there, they kind of took one look at me and knew that whatever was happening was much more serious than they could handle. Um, so I was ambulanced to the ICU at Baptist in, um, in Wake Forest or in Winston-Salem. Um, and I was in the ICU from the day I, I entered the hospital to the day I went home was about five weeks. Oh, my that's tough. That's, that's really tough. Um, it, it, something maybe just, I got to have to go backward a minute because mm -hmm. 
part of your story was that you were trying to get diagnosed for a long time. I don't, why couldn't they, you know, find this before it became so extreme? I had some false positive blood tests for lupus. So they were treating me under the assumption that I had lupus which is a much more reasonable diagnosis for somebody in their late 20s um, who is having these symptoms and nobody ever really thought to question it. And then the lupus medications weren't helping and it just kind of spiraled um, out of control. And my Duke doctors have told me that a lot of blood cancers like leukemia and lymphoma mimic so many other diseases that it's hard to diagnose them until you kind of get to the point where you're so sick Mm. um, that you end up at the hospital. Mm. And a lot of my symptoms too, I was postpartum. So I was tired all the time. I was achy. It was my first child. I didn't know how you were supposed to feel. Um, So a lot of my symptoms could kind of be written off as other things until it got really bad. That makes sense. But what would you say to somebody who has some issue and has it for a while? How can they pursue that before it gets to, again, this extreme situation? I would say just keep advocating for yourself and get multiple opinions and don't be scared to go to specialists that might seem scary, like an oncologist or something like that. Um, because the specialists are probably who you need to find that are going to really dig in and kind of eliminate everything else and figure out what the problem is. That's very good advice. So many stories are are similar where it's just not diagnosed right off the bat. And Mm -hmm. rightfully so, like you're saying, it could mimic so many other things, but maybe start start at the top instead of the bottom if something's really been um, after you. So, so I'm interested how your family was handling this, like, like when your husband first heard the news and then going through all the treatments and hospitalizations and such. I think everyone kind of just, um, kind of like I did, we all just kind of got into action mode and kind of put our blinders on Mm -hmm. and just focused on what we needed to do. So when I was in the hospital, um, my parents lived in Raleigh about 20 minutes away from us in Apex. Um, So my parents drove and got my son. He was 10 months old. He was with us. We were on vacation. Um, And my husband, Cody, moved in with my parents so that my mom could watch uh, our son while Cody worked. And then my dad kind of stayed at the hospital with me and was kind of my person there. Um, And we all just, I think, couldn't really, again, think about the big picture. It was more of like, okay, we're kind of in a, in a battle. This is a war. We have our blinders on. What do we need to do to get to the next step? I think that's an excellent way to approach something like this. Don't think about the big picture, just what's next, what's next. Yep. Positive movement forward. Yes. Um, so now you land up in a situation where you need the transplants, which are always are horrendous as far as trials for finding a match. Tell us about yes. that. Yes. So um, a few, I was in remission for three years after that chemo. And then um, my lymphoma came back and we knew that we needed to do bone marrow transplant. Um, I have three siblings and each uh, full, like a full sibling has about a 25% chance of being a match for you. 
Um, so I thought I was in good shape with three siblings, but uh, none of them were a full match. My brother was a half match, um, and you can do a bone marrow transplant with a half match, but it's a little trickier. Um, so what we actually did first is I had an auto bone marrow transplant with my own cells. So they took out my own stem cells um, and then blasted me with chemo and radiation and then put them back in, hoping that they would have gotten rid of all of the cancer and now my cells can maybe be able to recognize it better if it did come back. Um, that only lasted about five or six months before the lymphoma came back again. Mm. Um, so I went to my doctor really kind of thinking that I was going to have to choose the best of the terrible choices because I didn't have a match um, on the international registry. They had told me last time. Um, and so I, I went in and I sat down and I said to my doctor, so what are we going to do? And um, he said, we're going to have, we're going to do a bone marrow transplant. And I said, okay, with my brother. And he said, no, with your match, we ran you again and you have a 10 out of 10 match in Germany. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And we've already contacted him and he is fully on board and we're going to get going. So how does that work when you have a match in Germany? So he, um, he donates, it's the donation process is like a blood draw. So he donates in Germany, um, takes a few hours and then a courier, a medical courier in Germany collects that, brings it straight to a plane, straight over to America, straight to Durham. Mm -hmm. Uh, they don't even freeze it. They called me into the hospital at 10 o'clock at night and I went in and they transfused it into my blood and that was it. Wow. Wow. Yep. Uh, I'll tell you the miracle of science. Yeah, it was crazy. Mm -hmm. But that had to be a very scary, scary time. And, you know, the, the pain you were going through. I mean, it was incredibly difficult. It was by far the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I mean, because you're talking about, you know, having cancer, then none, then having it, then, then going through that, all that with the, uh, with the cell treatment and then just a few short months later having it again. I mean, mm -hmm. oh my goodness, you have to yeah, be a very strong had, person. Thank you. And I had a one-year-old and a four-year-old at the time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Which is plenty for anybody on the best of circumstances. <laughs> yes. Yes. Now you've gone through the transplant and you think, you know, having it, the chemo, the transplant, the back and forth, all that would be enough. But around the corner is lurking another difficult period, the isolation. Talk yes. to us about that. Yeah. So, um, so basically in a bone marrow transplant, they, when you have a donor, like I had, they give you a massive dose of chemo and radiation so that my bone marrow essentially dies and stops producing all of the things, all of the red blood cells, white blood cells, platelets. Um, so when they infuse the new stem cells, it takes a while for it to go into my bone, like my spinal cord and bone marrow and start making all the things again. Um, so I had to be within 10 minutes of Duke Hospital for 90 days minimum. Mine turned out to be more like 120 because mm -hmm. I had some complications. Um, 
So, and I couldn't be around my kids because a one and a four-year-old are little germ machines. Mm. <laughs> There's no way to not get sick from that, even with an immune system. Um, so me and my mom moved into a long-term hotel um, right down the street from Duke. And the first 30 days or so, I basically had no white blood cells, no platelets. I was getting blood transfusions every single day, platelet transfusions. Um, I couldn't see my kids at all. I really couldn't see anybody except my mom um, until my count started coming back up after two or three weeks. Um, and it was, it was pre-COVID. So I think people didn't really know, understand what isolation was like. So we were just in this hotel room. Mm. I wasn't allowed to walk outside because of the spores in the air from the grass. Mm. I had to wear an N95 everywhere I went. Walking from the car to the hotel front door, I had to wear an N95. Um, my mom couldn't go into grocery stores because of the risk of infection. We were having everything delivered um, and wiping it down and doing express drive through before it was popular during COVID. Yeah, right. Um, so we were kind of living that life like to the greatest extreme, um, just by ourselves in Durham, um, going to clinic every day and getting transfusions all day and then going back and waking up the next day and doing it all over again. Oh my, oh my. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I want to say, well, I can't, I, you know, I'm thinking about the COVID and, and, and the isolation that we all went through at the very beginning, especially, I yeah. mean, you did not go out of your house and how mm -hmm. crazy that drove, drove all of us. In fact, we did a lot of shows about that and the anxiety and the depression and everything that came from that type of isolation. Now add to it that you're fighting for your life. I mean, I right. just, I can't even, I cannot right. even imagine. Yeah. But you did have one bright spot. Your community, your community came through for you uh, with the rays of sunshine box. Yes. Early on in my treatment, a nurse w said to me once the quote, um, keep your face toward the sunshine and the shadows will fall behind you. And I loved it. And I really kind of adapted that as like my mantra for the whole thing. Um, so when my community learned that I was going to have to be away from home and especially my boys, um, for so long, they came up with the idea to have this collection box at our preschool and um, other preschool moms and my friends and different members in our community wrote letters to me and put it in the box so that the goal was for my 90 days away from home every single morning, I would have a new card or a new note to open to kind of start my day on a positive note, give me some inspiration, give me something to look forward to every day um, to kind of help get me through that isolating period. That is just brilliant. Now, how do you think you would have fared without that little magical box? I think it would have been just even more isolating and depressing. Um, and especially being the age that I was, I didn't know anybody else that had had a bone marrow transplant or really gone through cancer like that. So it wasn't like I could call them up and they could commiserate with me. Um, it was just really really isolating. And it really did become like this positive thing that every day I would get my card and I would bring it into clinic and all the nurses knew, you know, that I had a card every day. So every day they'd be like, let me see your card. What was it today? You know, 
Um, so it really just did become like a ray of sunshine in that dark, dark time. And that led you to do something on your own to pay it forward. Tell us about that. It was after, you know, I had gotten back home and recovered and everything. And I just started thinking, thinking to myself how much that box helped me. And I just started saying out loud, I wish everybody had a community like I did. I know a lot of people don't. And I wish everybody had a box like that. And then it kind of evolved into, well, what if I did that? What, like, what would that look like? And I kind of started talking to my friends about it and everybody was like, you know what? Like, I think we could actually make that happen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, I Googled how to start a nonprofit and I um, crowdsourced from from some friends and friends of friends and um, we got it up and running. Amy's Rays of Sunshine. Yep, Amy's Rays of Sunshine. So if somebody wanted to get involved in Amy's Rays of Sunshine, tell us the ways they could get involved and where they should go. You can check out our website, which is amysraysofsunshine.org. And you can find us on social media also. And there's a bunch of ways that you can help us. So our goal is to give boxes of 90 days of handwritten cards and letters and some other fun little things we throw in there, like activity books and cozy socks and things like that, um, to young adult patients who are going through bone marrow transplant. So the biggest need that we have and the biggest kind of backbone of our organization is handwritten cards. So anybody can handwrite a card um, and mail it. There's an address on our website directly to me, or um, you can drop it on my front porch if you're local. Um, And then we also have people that are hosting card drives. We've had book clubs, um, elementary schools, Girl Scout troops, companies that work, um, just have cards. Either they get their own or we can help provide them with blank cards if they need them. and, and write cards. We've had companies drop off. Uh, we had one company last week that dropped off almost 400 cards oh just my. from that one company. Yeah. Um, and Girl Scout troops that six girls have just um, used all of their creative energy and given <laughs> us almost 50 cards, you know, wow. and, um, and they're all different and they're all sweet and they're all so wonderful. Um, and then we also have an Amazon wish list on our website with um, blank cards that we use for the drives and other items that we can put in the boxes so people can make purchases off of that um, and have it shipped directly to us. Um, and there is a donation link on our website, too, if you want to donate financially to help us fund the boxes and the supplies and things like that. Many, many ways to get involved. Not a big time commitment, not a big money yep. commitment. I mean, this is something that everyone could do. You could even get your family involved and include the little ones because we, we want to always start them early and the yes. uh, giving back lessons. So yep, we have coloring pages even that we can give to the littlest ones that say you are brave, you are strong. Um, and some of you don't have to write a whole essay. Some of my favorite cards were ones that had jokes on it, or ones that said, I can't imagine what you're going through, but here are my favorite shows on Netflix if you want to check out any of them. <laughs> Good idea. Um, 
yeah. So it doesn't have to be, you know, a super emotional long letter, which mm-hmm. those are great too. Mm-hmm. But some days you just, you need a corny joke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Laughter is the best medicine, they say. Yep. <laughs> well, this is just excellent. Can you give the website one more time? Yep. It's amysraysofsunshine.org. Now, Amy, you're such a positive person. You've been through so much. You, you're very strong. You look toward the positivity instead of the negativity. And I just wish as we close, would there be one piece of advice you could give to those going through an illness, tramp, transplant, or similar experience? Uh, what would that piece of advice be? I think that it's taken me a long time to kind of accept the fact that there are things in my life that I can't control and my health is one of them. And I have learned that whether I am going to be positive about the future or negative about the future is not going to actually change the chance of my cancer recurring or something else happening. So you have to just keep going and even when it's hard, try not to get lost in the negativity. Um, It's hard to say stay positive all the time because there are some days that are going to be extremely difficult and it's okay to be sad and depressed and kind of stay in that for a little bit. But overall, there's really just some things you can't control. So really all you can do is kind of work with what you've got um, and accept help from your friends and family. I think that the caregiver burden is something that we didn't really think about until we were in it too. And just little things like my friends picking up the boys for play dates and giving my husband a break or dropping dinner off, things like that were so huge um, for us and something that really didn't take a lot of effort from other people. Um, so that I, I would say just keep your face forward, keep moving and accept help from those who are offering it. Excellent. Those are, those are good words of advice for really anything that comes up in life, Mm -hmm. even if it's not to do with your health. So thank you so much for being here, Amy, and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. That was really moving. And I hope everybody took away a lot from her words of wisdom and sharing her experience. I, I sure did. So we're out of time now, and it is time to high five and say goodbye. I'm Mary Innsbrucker for Triangle 411. Today, dot, 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 take care of a caregiver.